for me, it's about legacy building. It's about teaching people that they can do anything that they put their mind to. You know, I, my mom had me when she was 15. Dad been in jail my whole life. So if if I can do it, anybody can do it. So my goal is to inspire you to take massive action and do something for yourself. Build generational wealth. Show yourself that you can do it. But you first have to believe it and take massive action and have that rich state of mind. You're listening to the Rich State of Mind show, the podcast made to make you the total package in the entrepreneurial world and give you what we call a rich state of mind. If you are here looking to learn about real estate investing, marketing, elevating your business and developing your mindset to get to the next level, then you are at the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join our community on richstateofmind.com. Now, here's your host, Anthony Ritchie. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Rich State of Mind. While I'm talking to Marvin Mitchell, over the last 15 years, Marvin has been passionate about his life mission to show others the path to financial and time freedom. He's the owner of a thriving multi-seven-figure financial firm and has helped hundreds of others learn to leverage life insurance to create their own bank and build passive income to exceed their expenses. Marvin is a father, and he also owns over 420 units of real estate, Airbnb business, and a luxury rental company. Altogether, he just had his first eight-figure year. So Marvin is definitely successful. Uh, You'll see plenty of links, or if you type in Marvin Mitchell on Google, you'll see that he has plenty of other podcast interviews that he's done where he has shown proof that you know he's pretty legit, and um, I like his approach on money. Uh, we do cover a little bit about life insurance, using that as a bank, but there's other things that we've been able, we were able to discuss that I think are very unconventional on how to use your money. Uh, so, kind of unlearn some of the things that you were taught throughout the years of your financial literacy journey, and uh, I think Marvel explains that, or Marvin explains that very well. So. As always, thanks for listening and please enjoy. Hey, Marvin, thanks for taking the time this evening on the Rich State of Mind podcast. Like I said before we started recording, um, been watching you for about a year now and everything that you've uh, been doing. Uh, really glad and blessed that you're up here. So if you could please just tell us a little bit about yourself and you know what you do. Yeah, good question, man. Um, so what I do is I just help people to find untraditional ways to build wealth and how to make money three to five times off the same dollar. Uh, I teach people how to utilize uh, tools that very few people know to tap into to build tax-free income, tax-free wealth, so that they can, uh, you know, multiply their money, make more money, and also manage their money. I am a Hall of Fame financial advisor. Been a Hall financial advisor for 16 years. Got my own company, multi-million-dollar financial firm, and and now I coach and train others around the world um, to to really. Manage their money and man, make the best of it and build generational wealth um, and get away from what society tells you is the right way to build wealth. Uh, because there's a reason why 76 percent of people run out of money. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I try to break those molds and break the curse. Oh, so, you know, real quick, you, you know, you had me think of a question uh, right off the cuff with that. You know, what are what are some ways that people are, are losing money? That's 76 percent. Yeah, man, there's a lot of ways that people are losing money unknowingly and unnecessarily. Uh, it's almost like if what you thought to be true about money turned out not to be true, when would you want to know about it? 
you no. see exactly right. First time you played tic tac toe, who won? Was it you or was it the person that showed it to you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the person that showed it to you. So what I what I learned is we have to the the hardest part about learning something new is unlearning something that you think you know. Um, you know, it's things that you know that you know. Like I know how to tie my shoe. There are also things that you know that you don't know. I know I don't know how to give surgery. So if I wanted to learn it, I can go to school and I can learn it. But then there are the things, the blind spots is what I call it. These are the things that you don't know that you don't know. And if you don't know that you don't know it, you can't YouTube it. You can't Google it because you didn't even know you didn't even know it. So you need somebody to kind of reveal it to you. And that's hopefully that's what we're going to do today and reveal it. So, for example, one of those things is going to be, you know, thinking that you have to overfund your 401k. Uh, when you're on your job, thinking that your 401k is the best place to put your retirement money, not realizing in most cases you're putting that money in prison until you're 59 and a half. You can't even touch it without a 10% penalty. Even if you take a loan against that money, if you leave the job, now they're going to tax you and penalize you 10% if you're under 59 and a half. Um, you think that traditional markets is all that there is, like stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. And that's cool, but what happens when the market is tanking and losing 30 to 40%? What is your plan B? What is your what is your additional option on how you're saving money? So, again, we are taught to work, 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 save money into our 401k and save it, save it until we are, you know, retiring with 65. And then hopefully you can make that money last for the rest of your life. But you're living off of 70 percent of your income and you're paying taxes and the tax rates go up. They can actually take a lot of that money away. So how do we put you into a position where not only do you have consistent income, you have tax-free income, you have income that grows, and you're also building a legacy for the next generation? And so, yeah, how how can somebody do that? Because you you saying something like that, right? There's millions of people that believe in a 401k plan, right? They live and oh, yeah. die by it. They know. And then for me, being in the military, you know, we have thrift savings plan. We got the TSP. Yep. So TSP. that's something that people really rely on, their pension and their yeah. TSP. Uh and so you're saying, hey, you know, that's, you know, money prison. What would yeah. be my option? What's yeah, my first option? off, thank you. Thank you for uh, for serving. Uh, thank you. I definitely appreciate that. And definitely familiar with the TSP. Are you are you on um, civil service? Or are you first? Um, so I'm I'm active duty. Active okay, duty so active for duty. active duty Navy. Yeah. Got you. Got you. Got you. So they got different plans in your TSP based on where you are. Um, civil service or first. One of them have the match. One of them still have a pension attached to it. One of them you can't get Social Security. Oh yeah, yeah. So I'm yeah. the I'm the legacy. So I'm uh I still keep my fifty percent retirement, gotcha. and they don't match me. Gotcha. But I actually okay. don't use my TSP. Okay, okay, that's yeah. interesting. I would love to know more about that. Why you don't use your TSP? Uh, <laughs> see. There are different options, like when you got a 401k, 403b, or TSP, where you have a traditional one, and you also have, um, uh, they allow you to contribute as a Roth, too. Mm -hmm. Now, if you contribute as a Roth, that's not, that's the lesser of two evils. That's not bad, because at least your money grows tax-free, and you can actually eventually pull it out tax-free as well. So that's not bad, but it's still, the government plan, especially the TSPs, are still limited. Um, to the amount of options that you have. So you're very limited to your options and different things like that. So we want to we want to give you for more freedom. So what I like to do is I like to do um, what's called um, leverage and becoming your own bank first. So becoming your own bank means that I like to actually funnel money through uh, a vehicle, uh, life insurance, 
but not the traditional form of life insurance. It's very important because 95% of plans don't really grow a cash value. The fees are too much. And most companies don't even know how to structure it the right way to use it as a, as a wealth creation vehicle. So when we're structuring these things, we're structuring it actually for the, we want the lowest death benefit for the highest amount of cash value. And when we structure it that way, now that, that cash value, we can borrow against it. And the beauty of borrowing against it, you can actually grow your money two times, three times off the same dollar. Because if I got $100,000 of my cash value and it's growing at 5% every year, it's going to grow at 5% whether I leave it alone. It's going to still grow that same 5% if I borrow against it because I'm actually not taking from it. I'm borrowing against it, just like I was borrowing against a home equity line of credit. So it's still going to grow. So I got 100. I borrow, um, you know, 30,000. That 100 is still growing by 5%. So next year it's 105, even though I borrowed 30 because I leveraged it and I don't even have to pay it back. If I don't pay it back, they're going to subtract it from my death benefit when I die. Uh, although, although I don't have to pay it back, I choose to pay it back and I recommend you pay it back because what it does is it increases your borrowing capacity over time um, to borrow more and more and more as you go along. Uh, is there a cash limit to the, uh, to this type of, uh, life insurance package as far as how much you can, um, you know, grow it to? Yeah, that's a good question. There's not really a limit. However, there's rules that you have to abide by. So for example, in the old days, you used to be able to, you know, really wealthy people used to be able to dump just like hundred thousand, a million dollars, just easy in there because they know it would avoid taxation for the rest of the time and it can grow. Mm -hmm. Um, but then they did set a rule in there where, um, if you dump a lump sum in there one time and never really put money into it again, it's going to be considered what's called a MEC, which is a modified endowment contract. That simply means that you're, since you're treating it like a lump sum 401k or IRA or TSP, they're going to treat it that way, which means that they, it'll be a taxable event when you attempt to borrow against it and do things like that. But if you meet what's called the seven pay rule, which means that you plan to pay it for at least seven years, then anything you borrow against it, all of the growth, everything is going to be completely tax free. So the companies that that we that I work with in my financial firm, it has a no MEC policy, which means that even if you did fund it too much and break the rules, they're not even going to let you. They're going to send you the money back and let you know that you're breaking the rules on it um, to not allow you to have to subject be subject to that tax type of penalty. Okay, great. So you know, with normal, I'd say normal whole life insurance policies, usually you don't have any cash value until like, or you can't access it until like the five year mark. Yep. Um, you know, with the way that you're trying to structure uh, life insurance, uh, how fast can somebody access the cash value? 30 days. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's awesome. 30 days. So we structuring it, we can borrow up to a, like 70 to 80%, uh, 70 to 80% after about 30 days um, into uh, the policy. So, Again, like now I want to make sure that I'm clear and tell you not just what this is. Let me tell you what this is not. This is not a situation that you put in $500 and you got a $300,000 death benefit and you can borrow $300,000 because I get people all the time to get they, they say, I thought you said I can borrow all of the money from the death benefit. So you really think there's something out there that you can put in $100 and they're going to let you borrow $300,000 because you put in $100. No, it don't work that way. You don't borrow against the death benefit. You borrow against your cash value. Your cash value is only what you have put in. So it, it does take you putting the money in 
before you can um, borrow against it. So you might be thinking, well, what's the point if I can if I'm putting the money in and then I'm just borrowing against my own money? What's the point? You got to understand the type of person that you need to be. There's three different types of people when it comes to money. You got a debtor, you got a saver, and then you have a wealth creator. The debtor is somebody who, uh, you know, obviously they borrow from from money and then they spend their life trying to pay it back. They never get over the rent race. Then you got your um, the saver, the saver, they save, 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 and then they pay cash. A lot of people are like this, especially military people. They're going to save, 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 and then they're going to pay cash. They save, save, save. And then they pay cash. Well, that sounds great because you're not going into debt. But the problem is, is that every time you pay cash, you're stopping the forward momentum of your money every single time. If you had ten thousand and you pay cash for something that was eight thousand, now you're only you only got two thousand left, and you're only making interest based on two thousand. Now you got to build yourself back up to the ten thousand dollars. Might take you a few months or even a few years to get back to that level, and then you're starting to make a gain again on top of that ten thousand. So you just lost three, four years. But a wealth creator knows that. They never want to go backwards. They only want to go forward. So they leverage against themselves. So when I save into my wealth creation fund and I got 10,000, now when I borrow against it, I'm still, if I borrow 8,000 against it, I'm still getting paid interest on the 10,000, not on 2,000. And if I don't pay it back, it's subtracted from my death benefit, which is always going to be higher than my cash value. So if my death benefit is 50,000 and my cash value is 10,000, and if I die, well, now that 8,000 plus interest is going to be subtracted from the death benefit and my heirs are going to be able to get the risk. So that always allows me to double leverage my money in those particular situations. And if I do it right, the money that I do borrow, I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy me an asset such as real estate or such as um, renting out a vehicle or such as, um, you know, getting me a, a franchise like you got a franchise where I can now make money on a business and make money on their life insurance at the same time. And so that's what actually attracted me to the whole concept is because uh, before I bought the franchise, I was able to buy the franchise because I'm a real estate person by heart. The franchise idea was really for my wife, for her being patient with me, doing putting up with me with real estate, especially, especially during COVID. Um, so I was like, OK, cool, because I'm thinking about it like a HELOC, home equity line mm -hmm. of credit. Right. I can borrow from it, except instead of borrowing from my house, which I'm not getting any interest back on that when I put the money back, the bank is. This I can make myself richer times too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's just like you know, certain communities. You know how they say money doesn't leave their community. That's why they're wealthy. They they recycle inside of their own community over and over. Well, I know African Americans is very it's a very well known fact that money don't stay within the community because it goes outside of the community before it ever recycles back into it. A lot of the times, you know, it's kind of thinking along similar lines. Now, now only only you you are the business. You know, you are the culture, you are the nation. So your money, is your money going to stay in your own community or is it going after just one generation? You know, you got to say, how can we keep that dollar and keep it flowing and recycling that money over and over and over? Which means we want to we want to create pregnant money. So what that <laughs> means is that you want the parent, you want the parent to grow up your savings, which is a parent to grow up big enough and invest it so you can start becoming pregnant and creating money babies and now like you created that money baby now you want that you want to nurture that money baby and allow it to grow and produce and produce and produce until it's old enough to reproduce out its own kind and produce more money babies but the problem is there's too many people killing off the parent before the parent has an opportunity to become pregnant and produce a baby you, that you makes also, sense? it's funny you no know, it does and you got me thinking about 
how can I fit that life insurance policy into a trust to ensure that oh, yeah. those babies continue to, you know, come now about? You're thinking. Now you're thinking, bro. And that's one of the things I recommend, too. So you get the life insurance policy. Um, you place it into the trust. Let me tell you how there's a book. I wrote a book. It's called Become Your Own Bank Book. I talk about this in my book. Become Your Own Bank book.com become your own bank book.com you can get it it's like 37 dollars or so but there's another book called what would the rockefellers do and they talk about how the rockefellers use this concept to still be one of the wealthiest people don't even realize the rockefeller owns stuff that you don't even know about like spelman college is owned by the rockefellers it was laurie spelman rockefeller who actually who actually purchased and who has Spelman College. That's after her name, Spelman Rockefeller. Like, it's so many things that they still own today because what they did was they actually created trust. We, I call, it's a dynasty trust. I call it the Rockefeller Trust. And then they set up a family board around this trust. Somebody died, got a life insurance policy. It went to the trust. The family board would be able to dictate what happens. They can write contracts around that. And if one of the Rockefellers wanted to start a business, they would have to come before the family board and say they want to borrow against it, just like it's their own bank. They would approve that loan. The Rockefeller, the, the, the Rockefeller, young Rockefeller would go out and start a business. That business would be profitable. They would pay the loan back. Remember, the loan continued from the policy continued to grow as if they never touched it. And they would do those things over and over and over. And they would write the policy, the death benefit to the trust. So every time somebody dies, it recycles back into the trust again. And they got this whole Rockefeller endowment fund, this trust that's based off of a family concept. That's why their money lasts from generation to generation to generation. Whereas if you look at um, the Vanderbilts, for example, their money, they were even they were just as wealthy as the Rockefellers, but their money didn't last because they didn't do this concept. They spent it all mostly on, on every generation. They kept buying big things. They didn't recycle it. They didn't have a board set up. So if you think about that, how can you make it your own? Just set up a trust. Um, you can really get around with your family and set up a family bank the same way if you really wanted to get on an advanced level. But at least you can write that trust and you can control your money from the grave. Like you could create what's called a spender of trust that says, "My, you got any kids? I have three. You have three kids. How old are you? How old are they? Your kids, yeah. Right 17, now. 9, and 1. Oh, wow. You look young, man. You look like I thought you was like 32 or so. I am 32. Oh, oh OK. So you just had some young. OK, cool. cool. My mom actually my mom had me, had me when she was 15. So, yeah. So but but yeah. So with, with, with that being said, you can actually say let's just say you got two kids that's very financial responsible. And then one kid that's older that they're a good kid. But for whatever reason, financially, they did just didn't inherit those dream genes. You can actually write off in the trust that when they get this money, um, you can set certain parameters like they get so much per month and control it from the grave or they get this once they complete this training or once they get this degree or what they like. You can set parameters along the way. Even if you're not here, you can do those things or you can even set like if you got a kid that's married and maybe you don't you're not too sure about the person that they married to. Instead of, you know, you dying and 50 percent of that automatically belonging to the spouse or the ex-spouse, you can set it up where it skips a generation and goes to the grandkid. You can do all of that stuff if you have the right type of trust set up. And that's that's very powerful, even from a tax perspective. Um, if you structure an irrevocable trust, you can actually avoid certain estate taxes if you're rich enough, which could be taxing you as much as 55 percent of that money. You know, it's, it's awesome that you brought up about that uh, become your own uh, bank book, because 
Yeah. Uh, when you was talking about the board and dying after, you know, using the life insurance as a pretty much as a uh, catalyst towards whatever business venture that the other family wanted to do, family member wanted to do. It reminded me of a book I read six years ago called Family Fortunes, and it's how to keep family wealth. Uh, wealth within the family for a hundred years, because like you wow. said, it was an issue, right? Uh, you know, after, they say, well, after like the third generation, they squandered the wealth away, something like that. Absolutely. Uh, so, and, and that's a problem. And I discussed, uh, you know, I talked to my father uh, often and I was discussing to him about uh, the issue I think what people have is they have a problem replicating their, their wealth. So I, like I said, I, I'm into real estate. I like, I like real estate, but maybe my son is not into that. Right. right. So how do I transfer that wealth and that business that I'm transferring down and that trust in a way that will it will still succeed and fit within, you know, within my kids? And I think that that's a that's an issue. Slash, I think you got 20 years and or whatever you feel comfortable until they get more you know, responsible enough to kind of figure that out. But that's something I want people to also kind of think about, because when we're talking yeah. about these assets or right, life insurance, uh, trust funds, you know, real estate franchise, stuff like that, or anything that you invest in, you, the plan is to pass it down because you're not going to be alive for long enough. So how can you, uh, I guess, properly educate your family? And I guess I would ask you that, you know, what are some ideas that you've come up with or you've experienced to, to how to properly prepare your family to be good stewards of these assets that you've built by the time uh, you've, you've passed? Yeah, people ask me that all the time. Do, y'all, do I think it's better to give them the money or give them the, give them the mindset? And, and I'm going to say both, right? <laughs> like, we don't, it doesn't have to be an either or. It can be a both and. You want to give them both the mindset and the money because the Bible says a good man leaves an inheritance for their children's children. So, um, but going back to that, like, giving your kids options, right? Like, 529 plans. I'm not a big fan of 529 plans. Uh, I'm not against them. But the reason why I'm not a big uh, fan of them because it counts against um, the child's financial aid to get scholarships and different things like that. And also they can only use it if they do attend college or pass it on to another child that might attend college. Well, maybe maybe your child's an entrepreneur. Maybe they maybe they don't look to go to college. Right. Obviously, we want them to go to college. route, But if they don't, we don't want to punish them by that and take penalties for that. Uh, Like when you save in the life insurance, the wealth creation fund instead of the 529 now. That doesn't count against the financial aid. It's not a taxable event. It doesn't count against your child's income. And it can borrow it for college. To, and it still continues to grow as if they never, never touched it. Maybe they want to start a business with that money down the line. And on top of that, um, on top of that, they have the option to not go to college and still use it. Or you might decide that they don't need it. They've done, they've done well for themselves. And the parent might decide that, well, I'm going to keep this for my retirement money. So you just got options. Uh, basically what I'm saying. So you, you give them options and then you teach them like you have like a family board meeting, maybe quarterly or something like that, where you just literally talk about money. You watch something educational together. Maybe you watch this podcast and you sit down and you say, hey, or you listen to this podcast and you sit down over the family and say, let's discuss this. Let's talk about it. And you call a family meeting and you just open up the dialogue, for these conversations, because I think enough families don't talk about money like we don't talk about money and we should talk about money because not only like, it's not just about the money. It's about them understanding the passion and a heart behind the money, because what your treasury is, your heart will be also. So we need to understand how we're making those decisions. Are we being a good steward of our money? It's about discipline. It's about control. It's about, it's about making the right decisions. It's about being um, charitable. All of those things are conversations that come up when it comes to money and these conversations aren't being held enough. 
Yeah. So I had that conversation with my father where I would say that, you know, money is just a tool and, and it only yeah. going to make you a bigger version of what you already are. Um, so if you were already, you know, giving a thoughtful person, you'll probably be an even more giving a thoughtful person. Right. Yeah. Uh, if you are greedy, then you'll get even more greedy. Yeah. You know, I think naturally, right. As we see those commas and zeros get added to our bank account, we're like, oh, all right, cool, cool. Um, you know, so naturally that, that's in us, but not to the point where, you know, like I said, if you're not greedy, you're not going to be like, well, I'm just going to keep it all to myself. So uh, that's definitely something uh, to think about. You know, I want to ask you. You know, so we talked about or we kind of briefly talked about, you know, real estate and how I would how I would have used it. And that's why it piqued my interest. But let's talk about how you use your life insurance policy to get four hundred and twenty two units of real estate. Yeah, man, I used it for that. and Many other things. Um, four hundred and twenty two units of real estate. Um, uh, got a Lamborghini that I paid a down payment with my life insurance policy. I'll that's talk crazy. about that. Also, um, a $2 million house that I that I got was called a no-doc loan. So I was able to borrow about 5% from my life insurance policy and put and, and rent the thing out that pays me twenty-five dollars to $30,000 a month. And I don't even live in the house. Um, I got, um, man, I've used this thing for so many things. Uh, it's crazy. I've, I've given out loans, like, you know, hard, hard, um, hard money loans. Mm-hmm. Whereas people was doing 16%, I was saying, okay, well, let me do 12%. And then I, I wrote out the house as collateral if they didn't pay me. So my money was still growing. And when they paid me back the loan, I got money, my money plus interest, 12% interest back on that. So becoming your own bank in the, um, it, it's not really about the insurance. Um, people think, well, it's, it's how you do insurance, the infinite banking system. It's not, it's about the mindset. It's about the mindset of being a wealth creator and learning how to be a wealth creator and only using this as a tool because a life insurance in itself is not an investment. Life insurance is not an investment. If you structure it the right way, it can be a funnel to grow and for you to leverage to get investments that are going to make you more money than a life insurance would. And you can make your money twice off the same dollar, but it's not to replace investment. So going back. Um, for my real estate, I just borrow the payment against it. I always collaborate. I'm a big believer in collaborate. So when I do a, a real estate project, multifamily, um, single family apartments, I'm finding me two or three partners. Um, whatever my part of it is, I'm going to borrow from my policy and I'm going to start getting a monthly amount. There was one that we paid $1.8 million for. I partnered on that. So I was about a third of, uh, uh, yeah, a third of that deal. And then the, the, the plan was to sell it in four years for like double. But we ended up selling it in 18 months for like $3.9 million. So we a $2 million profit on that building in just 18 months. And then we took that money. I paid back my down payment um, into the policy. Um, I, I took the rest of it. You know what I mean? I started me a whole nother policy um, with the money that I got from there. So additional policy. So that's one, one thing that we did. And again, because I was a partner in a collaboration, I didn't have to do the work. I didn't have to fix toilets. I didn't have to do anything. I just showed up for a meeting every once in a while just to see where we were at in the project. And really, that's what it is, because I'm not a handy guy. I'm not a I don't know how to I don't even know how to fix nothing. Um, give me a screwdriver. I might mess something up. I'm just being real. But I do know how to lead and I do know how to collaborate on deals and let people do what they do best. My Lamborghini. My goal was when I got that Lamborghini, I was going to rent it out on Turo and I knew it would pay me like twelve to $15,000 a month. But the crazy thing is when I got the Lamborghini, 
uh, all of a sudden I had a mentorship where I only had three people, no, six people in it in two months. Um, so that was good, but it wasn't like great. But as soon as I got the Lamborghini in one day, 27 people decided to join my mentorship for 5,000. So I paid off half of the Lamborghini in one day just by having it. And I borrowed the money from my life insurance policy to get it started. So technically none of the money at all was out of my own pocket. I was able to pay back <laughs> the policy. Uh, and then I still got the Lamborghini and it gives me so many opportunities. I don't even rent it out. Um, but then a $2 million house, again, I got the no doc loan, 5%. That just means that I didn't have to provide a lot of documentation at the time. It's a little bit higher interest rate. Um, but what I did was I paid for the down payment, automatically started positioning myself where I could start renting it out. And now I stay in it most of the time. Um, but I rent it out still every once in a while, but yeah, it, it, it works out, man. It, it, if you, when you learn this game of leverage and how to utilize the life insurance as leverage, you will un- you will never look at money the same again because you could turn any luxury item into an asset instead of a liability if you learn how to work it right. And that was also another. So I have a frustration when it comes to get financing through banks. Like when I had to get my SBA loan, like yep. grueling process. They want my blood. Uh, they want to yeah. know like everything. Right. And I hate that. I I like the option also with this insurance policy where I could just, you know, probably fill out something, get my money uh, shortly versus waiting 60 days. Sign something. You get in two to three business days. Like even if you lost your job, if the money was there, your credit score doesn't matter. Like none of that matters. You could just get the money. Whereas in the banks, let's say you got a lot of money um, and equity in your home. You got a job, you lose your job, you go to the bank and say, well, I've been overpaying for my mortgage, so I want to take some of that out. They're going to say, well, fill out this app, this 15-page application. Uh, oh, you don't have a job anymore? No, you can't. This is our money. You 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 can't get it because we don't know, think you're going to be able to pay it back. So like, what do you mean? I've been overpaying on this thing for 10 years. It don't even matter. Yeah. Like, you don't control that money. You are rushing to give up control of your money to somebody else. Like, my definition of being debt-free is not necessarily paying off your house in cash and being debt free is having enough money setting aside, setting aside in a liquid fund where if you chose to pay off that debt, you could pay it off anytime that you want because you have more liquidity than liabilities. So that's how I look at it. Like if I can use a debt to my advantage and I can make more money somewhere else, but I got the money to pay it off if I chose to, I'm not in debt. So why do rich people use debt? Rich people use debt to make them rich. Uh, what's the guy that was buying, buying Twitter? Um, oh, Elon Musk. Elon Musk, he was getting along. He's getting loans like Elon Musk don't need to get any loans. Why is he getting loans? Because he understands the game of leverage. That's how he became a billionaire. He understands the game of leverage. Like, why? Why use my money when I can use somebody else's money? It don't make sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. So why would somebody want to have multiple policies? Because you mentioned you said you took that money and got another policy. Yeah, I have I have like um, six different policies and I do because. Again, once you fund it at a certain amount, if you overfund it too much, it turns into a met, which means it mm. become a taxable event. So if you want to get put more into it, your income grows, your money grows, you got to start a new policy so that you're not taxed on it. That's turned into a taxable event, uh, provide you with that flexibility. So I have whole life. I have index universal life. I even have a couple term policies as well. So uh, if any agent tells you that there's one that's significantly better than the other. Like you got to have term or you got to have this whole life. You got to have index universal life. Then you need to run from them because every single situation is different. Every person might, there might be a different need for you. 
uh, and a different need for your friend, a different need for your parents. So you got to find out what's right for you. Uh, what is the difference between uh, universal index, universal life and whole life? Uh, great question. Well, whole life is and that's that's the type of policy. Um, it's going to be fixed. So you're going to get a fixed rate of return. Let's say it's four percent, four and a half percent. Let's you're going to get dividends on them. Now, dividends are not guaranteed, but they have paid most companies to pay them for like one hundred and twenty six consecutive years. So this is pretty close to the word guaranteed without actually saying guaranteed. Um, so, you know what you're getting. You can borrow from the money quicker, too, after 30 days. Um and if you structure it the right way, again, the lowest death benefit for the highest amount of cash value, you can use that um, to your advantage. Now, as far as index universal life, index universal life, um, you can get a higher rate of return over time because the way it works is you have what's called a cap. If your cap is 10 percent, then that means you can make up to 10 percent that year. But if, the, if you if it makes 15, the most you can make is 10. But if it ever goes down, you don't lose your money. So you have the ability to protect some of your downside. But it's not consistent like whole life. So one year I can make a zero if the market goes down, but I can also make up to 10 percent. So over time, you might make more on the index universal life policy. The downside is that you can it, it's not as flexible as far as when you can borrow against it. So um, you, you, you don't want to borrow on this after only 30 days. Like I tell people, if you can afford to wait a couple of years or so to borrow from your policy, maybe an index universal life is, is better because you have more time to grow it. But if you need it quicker than a whole life. So the real answer for a lot of you, it might be both. Like I have both. Like I want the flexibility sometimes to borrow from it quicker. Maybe I got a real estate project I want to take care of. And some of it, I want the ability to think long term. Like when I'm 20, 30 years, 20, 30 years from now, when I'm borrowing against my policy for for retirement income, tax free retirement. So every single thing, as long as you have a purpose and a goal for it, it can change. Thank you for that. Thank you for breaking that down. Uh, earlier, I think before we started recording, I was uh, talking about how some options as far as when you take the money out, what to do with it. And we talked about investing in real estate and your Lamborghini and other business ventures. Uh, I also wanted to, to discuss another topic where it was, you know, how when people are investing through the life insurance policies, how are they hurting themselves by reinvesting everything back into the business? So I'm a believer and obviously investing in yourself and investing in your business. But I'm also not a big fan of investing everything back into your business. Um, granted, you might look at it and say, well, if I don't bet on myself and believe in myself and my business, then then why wouldn't I do it? It's, it's because just like with anything, when you see the, when does it end? Right. If you keep investing everything back into the business, investing everything back into the business, at some point you got to think about profits. And you got to think about profit first. I'm a big believer in profit first. So every month I look at my income from my business and I decide that I want to pay myself first. So I'm going to take a certain percentage, a defined percentage from the business. I'm going to put that into my bank account, my personal bank account, and I'm going to divvy that up amongst life insurance or investments or whatever I decide to do with it. Because God forbid, if something were to happen to my business, now I've created this entire pool like COVID. Nobody expected COVID to happen. Some people's businesses thrive. Some people's businesses didn't survive. Some people's barely made it, you know? So I want to put myself, I want to put myself into a position that no matter what my, all of my eggs are not in one basket and I have the ability to pivot should I need to pivot. Yeah. And I also had a struggle with that for my first couple of years um, with real estate investing. I was putting everything all the way back in because I wanted to just buy the next property. And since I had my military paycheck, um, you know, I didn't see no problem with it. 
but my wife was like, hey, we're putting this time into it, right? Managing these tenants. Uh, and, and in our short-term rental case, sometimes we've even cleaned the um, the property ourselves. And so oh, wow. she's, she's quick to say, hey, run me my 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 fee, you know, for cleaning the house. Yeah. Uh, and I have to get into a better habit of doing that. And it does feel good. Um, I think it actually even motivates you because mm-hmm. you're like, OK, cool. You physically you 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 feel OK. I see the money coming to my actual bank account and not going back into the business. And it's Bro. Well, the reason, the reason, another reason why you 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 do want to do it that way, and I love that you're doing that because just taking something that you can actually see, because you can be rich and still feel broke. Yes, yeah. And the worst thing in the world is that you asset rich and liquid poor, because you you've done all this work, you built all of these assets, and you feel like you want emergency away from being bankrupt. You know what I'm saying, like. I know many of people that this has happened to or one big bad tax bill that you didn't expect away from being bankrupt. And sometimes when you don't have that liquidity and you feel broke, you start making broke, scarcity minded decisions. How do I know this? Because I was there. You know, I had a business that was doing multi-million. And um, all of a sudden, like when people was telling me to go somewhere, I was like, I can't because I don't have them. Like, I can't. I don't have it. Like, what do you mean you don't have it? I didn't have I really didn't have it. And feeling like you don't have it when you start thinking that way. It attracts more. I don't have it. It's like the mindset, right? It's like when you have it's almost like like I want to walk around with some cash on me that I can tip. The worst feeling in the world, you can need to tip somebody. You don't got they don't do cash up. And you ain't got no money to tip them like you feel you feel horrible about it. But when you can spread, when you can give to somebody and give an abundance, it attracts more abundance. So when you have the liquidity, it attracts more liquidity. So don't allow yourself to be asset rich and cash poor. Uh, yeah, well, you you guys heard it. Um, and that's actually something that is something I want people to definitely to pay attention to, because I was thinking about that. Like, you know, you do get all these assets, but you only make like 30 grand a year. Right. Like, <laughs> so you're worth a million, but, you know, you're you're living on a minimal wage income and, and that's not where you want to be. Uh, and so one thing is, like I said, before we start recording, I want to make sure that we always direct people towards the services you provide. So first thing, where can people find you? Marvin. Yeah, one of the good things is um well first off on Instagram you can find me on at Marvin Mitchell Official. M A R V I N Mitchell Official. Make sure that it's spelled Marvin Mitchell Official, no dots, no slashes, no extra letters because I'm telling you there are fake scammer accounts out there so don't let one of them get you. Um but also I do a 5-day challenge. And on that five day challenge, it's a five day virtual challenge. It's recycled every three months. I do it every every three months or so. And this five day challenge, we do we it's an hour or two a day, depending on if you're VIP or general or platinum. And we teach you how to make money, multiply money, how to do real estate, how to leverage your life insurance, how to create 15 different streams of income um, from books and digital products and different things like that, and really how to change your life. My mentorship has created several uh, millionaires. I have nine people to to do a million in a day um, in, in the last seven months. And, uh, and also we teach people how to make five figures in a day, um, six figures in a day. Uh, we have people to make more money and leverage their money better. So if you want to learn how to do that, you just go to mypathtoprosperity.com. That's mypathtoprosperity.com. Mypathtoprosperity.com. Because the great thing about that is, we teach people that it's actually easier to make a lot of money in a little bit of time than it is to make a little money in a lot of time. You just got to know how the psychology works. 
if you get your mindset right and you learn the power of leverage, I promise you making money is easier than it is to be poor. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> and also what I like to ask, I'm, I'm, I'm smiling, man, because I'm like, man, this is a this is some golden nugget stuff that I really want people to hone in on and actually replay this over and over again. Yep. Uh, and so what I, I almost forgot, I always like to ask this question to everybody that comes on here. Uh, what is your rich state of mind? What What is your your passion, your big why as to why you like teaching these things to people? You know, I grew up poor, you know what I mean? And I always was wanting to help people like me. Um, but when I when I attempted to, when I first became a financial advisor, I struggled. Um, I could barely pay my my bills. It was horrible. And, you know, I was attempting to help my people. And then one of my mentors, he told me one day, he said, the best best way to help broke people is to not be one of them. So, you know, I had to I had to pivot and start talking to people, millionaires and billionaires who have money and and learn. And I learned so many things from them. And once I became to the level where I was a multimillionaire, now that gave me this platform where I could come on podcasts and I can teach the masses and teach the world how to have that same rich state of mindset. So I'm doing what I initially wanted to do, providing scholarships, being able to give back, being able to change worlds, being able to donate to cancer societies and kidney foundations and things that make a difference to me. So for me, it's about legacy building. It's about teaching people that they can do anything that they put their mind to. You know, I, my mom had me when she was 15. Dad had been in jail my whole life. So if if I can do it, anybody can do it. So my goal is to inspire you to take massive action and do something for yourself, build generational wealth, show yourself that you can do it. But you first have to believe it and take massive action and have that rich state of mind. Well, Marvin, I really appreciate your time and thank you for sharing all this knowledge. And also, everybody, please check out Marvin, the social media uh, sites and pages that he mentioned and uh, that um, course as well. Every three, every three months, every every three months. So just do it today and you're going to get recycled into the next. Awesome. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate your time, man. Thank you, man. Appreciate you, bro. Thank you for sticking with us from the start of the episode. Please share our show with friends and family, visit our YouTube channel, and view more of our content on richstateofmind.com. See you next week on the Rich State of Mind show.